Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. third scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart and mind and soul. Amen. I'm going to keep my remarks a little bit shorter today than usual because we have a lot left to do liturgically this morning. We've already recalled the saints who've gone on to glory in the past year. We've lit candles, we've rung a bell, we've provided witness on behalf of those whose earthly service is finished. But I think that All Saints is also an ideal opportunity for us to remember the transcendent nature of the body of Christ that we call the Church. Yes, some of our loved ones have gone ahead of us, but they remain an intrinsic part of the communion of saints. This communion of saints is bound by the grace of God through past, present, and future, so that we are united with those who have come before us and those who will come after us. So to celebrate this eternal communion, we not only will be partaking in the Eucharist this morning, but we have a baptism to celebrate, as well as taking time to remember our own baptisms. Therefore, as I have said, I want to try and keep things short today. We're once again back in the book of Isaiah. And this time we're hearing one of Isaiah's visions of what it will be like when God has fully established the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's the kind of imagery that we see throughout many of the prophetic visions for the future. God brings all people together in unity. Everyone gets to eat and drink to their heart's content. Death is abolished forever and sadness and despair are not to be known again. All of what Isaiah sees in this passage is good news. Conflict, pain, suffering, all of this shall pass away when the Lord of hosts establishes himself on the mountain of the Lord. 
Yet, this good news is only good news if you have a little bit of faith to go along with it. What Isaiah doesn't see is the eradication of sin before this triumphal moment. In other words, Isaiah isn't telling people that the good news is going to end all of their pain and suffering here and now. In a world like ours, a world that demands tangible proof before belief, a world that offers often empty promises of immediate gratification, this promise of good news at some point in the unspecified future can be a hard thing for people to trust. Because when we say that we have faith, what we're really saying is that we have trust in God. The Greek word that's most commonly translated as faith is pistis, which means a feeling of trust or confidence. Or perhaps the Latin word for faith might be more familiar to you, fides, as in fidelity, to be devoted or loyal. All of which is to say that our choice to believe, our choice to listen to God's call, our choice to respond to God's grace that is already at work within us is an active decision that we have to make. And what's more is that the choice to believe is not the easy choice. Maybe there was a time when it was the easier choice to make the claim to belief a time when it was taken for granted that people were just expected to be Christian. But that's not the case anymore. We know that more and more people are either making the decision to walk away from the church or were never invited to be a part of the community of faith to begin with. We could despair over that. Or instead, we could find hope in the fact that those who choose to believe today aren't just doing so to fit in with the popular culture. We could find hope in the fact that even as being Christian becomes less and less expected of people, there are still those in the world who make the active choice to respond to God. The prophets give us many images of what the fullness of the kingdom will be like, and Christ, through his parables, adds his own images as well. But what the scripture is less clear about is how we get to that point. Jesus even goes so far as to warn us against trying to put a time and a date to the fulfillment of the kingdom. We know what our life is like now. We know what has been promised in the future, but the in-between, those moments between the present brokenness of the world and the future wholeness of creation, that's where we have to have faith. Our doctrinal standards reject the idea of purgatory, but they do leave open an awareness that we don't know exactly what happens between death and the bodily resurrection. This is a mystery of faith that we will never know the answer to in this life. It's a mystery of faith that I find comforting, though. We do not know what comes between death and resurrection 
but we choose to believe, to trust nonetheless. I do not know what the short-term future of the church in America looks like. I'm confident that there will be more death, death to some of the ways that our institutions have been structured, death to what the United Methodist Church is right now, death to more of our local churches. But I also know that death doesn't get the final say. I know that out of the coming deaths will come opportunities for resurrection, opportunities for the church to rebuild itself, to be more equitable toward all of God's children, opportunities for the people called Methodists to refocus our energy outward into the world, opportunities for the church to reimagine what discipleship looks like. Likewise, I do not know what will happen to each of you after the death of this congregation, but I choose to believe that you will find resurrection. I know some of you have already started to think about other churches in the area, and I know that some of you can't even begin to think about that because the wounds here are still too fresh. Wherever you find yourself in that spiritual and emotional journey, I encourage you to keep making the active decision to trust God. Trust that you will find the place you are meant to go. Trust that God will work new life for you. Trust that the end here will never have the final word because God has promised so much more for you in the time that is to come. Amen. Please pray with me. God, who calls us from death to life, empower our hearts with the assurance of your Holy Spirit. Sit with us in the mystery of the resurrection. Sit with us as we trust you to see us through uncertainty and fear. Lead us into love and life. Amen.